Let me ask you a question. Do you know your why? Your purpose for existence? If you don't, you're in a great place to start to explore what that means. That might even be what's drawn you to church this morning, whether you're here in the room or you're with us online, to learn a little bit more about your why on this earth. Well, we're going to talk today about our why as a church, and I'm going to begin with what I've definitely concluded from the Scriptures is my why as a pastor. It goes like this. This is from Paul's letter to the Colossians in his first chapter. He talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, this, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that, here's the why, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, Paul writes. That is, in one small scripture, the why of the church and my why as a pastor. It's all right there. Christ in you. Someone say Christ in me. Christ in me. The idea that our church is purposed to present us all fully and whole, uh, fully grown and whole, mature in Jesus, at least maturing in Jesus. Now, the way we phrase that here at Outlook in our mission statement is that our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus. Our mission is to develop disciples of Jesus. That means you. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. We're going to spend this month looking at how that happens and how that will keep happening here at Outlook. The why today and the how in the weeks ahead. So if this is one of your first times with us at Outlook, you've, you've started at a great time because you're going to get to know our heart and what we're all about as a church really well. And if you've been coming to Outlook for years, maybe even decades, I hope that these next few weeks starting today will be a refresher uh, that, will, that will just simply uh, remind you of how fun and good and great it is to follow Jesus together as a New Testament church. He is the one we read just a minute ago. He is the one we proclaim. Now that, that verb proclaim, I think it's worth thinking about for a moment, because if we're going to discuss this morning, what is, a, what is our church all about? I think a great follow-up question to that is, well, what or who do we proclaim? What are we all about? What comes out of us as a church? Because the disciples a church develops depends on the gospel that church shares and preaches and teaches. So we want to take a few minutes and take a good deep look at this. In my experience, working with so many of you over the years and observing the church in our culture over my life, at least the last 25 years or so, I have found that there are at least three main ways that Christians and churches can tend to get the gospel wrong, if I can be so Blunt, how folks can deviate from the core message of Jesus. And any of us, it can be true for any of us, we can drift in some wrong directions. So we're going to look at four Gospels here real quick. Uh, the Gospel of Prosperity, the Gospel of Forgiveness only, the Gospel of what I would call Rightness, and then the Gospel of Jesus 
Christ. Now, I'm not saying at all, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying at all that we are the only church aiming to get this right and do this faithfully. In fact, we are blessed with several solid churches in our area. I'm only going to point out for the next few minutes how easy it can be for any of us to get our eye off the ball and how important it is that we don't. So, in our world today, I find that these three areas can be the, the ways most common that we can find ourselves drifting from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why is this important? Well, for one thing, it's important because where you and I start, this is true in a lot of areas, it's certainly true in our spiritual lives. Where you and I start has a lot to do with how it's going and where we end up. And each of these first three start off on the wrong foot. And make, they make an aspect of the gospel the main point of the gospel. And so let's just move through these for the next few minutes. Are you ready? All right, buckle up. Here we go. First, the gospel of prosperity focuses on getting my needs and probably, if I'm honest, a lot of my wants met. The gospel of prosperity promises that we do what God says and he blesses us, mostly circumstantially and materially. It says that if we do things God's way, things will go our way. That's the gospel of prosperity in a nutshell. The gospel of forgiveness only focuses on the forgiveness solely on the forgiveness that God gives that we need to get into heaven. Right. The bare minimum, whatever it takes Paying attention to Jesus and his teaching, seeing the relevance of God in our everyday life. Man, that stuff's optional, barely relevant. All that matters is that I know where I'm going to go after I leave my earthly life. The gospel of forgiveness only. Some people call this gospel of sin management. Let's just figure out what my sin is that needs forgiven. Let's, let's put it all in a pile. Let's get it forgiven. Let's shove it into that forgiven column. Now I'm all good. Third is the gospel of rightness. It focuses on being better and more theologically correct than everyone else. Let's make sure we can nail down every aspect of doctrine, not just those essential core beliefs, but all the secondary and tertiary ones too. Uh, let's nail them all down. Let's figure out exactly what is correct with no room for doubt or discussion. And let's be glad that we're in and delight in defining who's out. That's the gospel of rightness. But then the gospel of Jesus Christ focuses on the promise that God is with us. Those were the first words that Jesus would proclaim in his teaching. The kingdom of God has come near or is upon you or is with you. This was Jesus' repeated proclamation. So, yes, God in Christ is indeed our teacher of doctrine. He is indeed our giver of grace, and he's absolutely our trustworthy provider. But the first words Jesus says to any disciple is, follow me. Now, the gospel of prosperity, it produces entitled consumers. This is especially probably popular here in our American culture. Now, we may not buy into the idea that God wants you to get filthy rich. Maybe we're smart enough not to, to get to the worm on that hook uh, in us. But maybe we still believe the idea that if I follow God, I should be pretty comfortable. Things should go pretty smoothly. 
In this gospel, uh, our faith just becomes a product of convenience. And if things aren't going well, we wonder if they're God's will. And we really end up saying, this gospel needs to work for me. It's just not working for me. Right? There's a second gospel here, the gospel of forgiveness. It produces passive adherence. Just enough ritual to stay in God's good graces. Passive is the key word there. The gospel of rightness produces judgmental experts. Anyone ever been one of those or met one? Yeah, if we're all honest, we can probably see ourselves drifting there at times. Judgmental experts become people who are self-righteous and detached from empathy. They are believing first the gospel of rightness, but the gospel of Jesus Christ produces devoted disciples of him, focused first and foremost always on their personal relationship with him. Follow me, he says. Now, for those who are following the gospel of prosperity, church is a pep rally, a place that gives you a joyful weekly shot in the arm to remind you that God is on your side. Isn't that great? Now, if you're following the gospel of forgiveness, church becomes a checkbox, a base you cover to stay on God's good side. Got it done. If you're following the gospel of rightness, church becomes an elite exclusive club where some are favored and then there's everyone else and they may or may not qualify for admittance. But the church of Jesus Christ, following the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a genuine, caring family of fellow Jesus followers supporting each other and growing together. Yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? Now, if you've been following so far, you won't be surprised to hear that the gospel of prosperity is driven by greed, right? More, more for me, what's coming to me, demand my rights, whatever that looks like. The gospel of forgiveness is driven by fear. Am I forgiven today? Have I done something wrong? Am I on the right side of God's wrath? And it becomes a tightrope that you walk or a pop quiz you hope you don't fail. The gospel of rightness is driven by pride. That's not hard to see. The gospel of Jesus Christ, of course, is driven by love. Everyone say love. Doesn't that feel good? Just say it again. Love. That's right. Now, once you begin to see this, it's hard to miss all over the place. From the outset, Jesus was tempted to distort this gospel, this gospel that we love, this gospel that we've come to know and that we are spending our lives enjoying and unpacking and applying to our lives. From the beginning, he was tempted to twist and morph it. We might not have it had he given in to those temptations. In fact, we know we wouldn't. In Matthew and Luke, the tempter or the devil tempts Jesus first to do what? Create bread out of stones to relieve his own Hunger. God becomes the vending machine that gives me the things that I want. That's clearly and undeniably the prosperity gospel. Give me now what I think I need. Second temptation was to leap from a pinnacle and then rely on angels to break his fall. That is that gospel that says, save, my, uh, save me in the end. Right? I'm going to put God to the test. I'm going to ignore him for most of my life, hope my ticket is punched to heaven, and that he will, right before I hit the ground, save me. Or the third temptation was to kneel before Satan in return for all the kingdoms of the world. To be in power. The gospel that says, I should be in charge because I know best. 
Now, in his model prayer that Jesus taught us as his disciples, he taught us to pray against these three distortions. Give us this day our big fat lottery check. Is that what, is that what the, right? No, I want all my needs and all my wants and all my desires met. No, give me this day my daily bread. I'll trust you, God, to take care of me today. That's antithesis. The antithesis of the prosperity gospel. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So forgiveness isn't just this passive thing that I receive. Isn't that great? Now I'm all set for eternity. Wait, I'm being asked to also forgive. This is something I participate in. I can't just lean back and enjoy passively the gospel of forgiveness only. Let us not be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You mean I'm not always right? You mean I might uh, be tempted? In fact, I'll ne- I'm going to need to pray on a regular basis, maybe even every day that I'm not led into temptation, that I don't have it all nailed down or all together? Mm-mm. And yours, Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I could go on all day, but I've just got one more. Okay, in 1 John, in that letter, he talks about what the world offers in comparison to what God is like and what God is all about. He names three things that the world is all about, and those things are set to make us fall. First, the lust of the eyes, which is certainly materialism. I want more and more. Everything I see, give me more. The lust of the flesh, that's hedonism. Certainly, save my skin and the pride of life aren't i great part of just a chosen few those three things that john uh, lists there also perfectly describe from that aspect these three distortions of the gospel a prosperity gospel a forgiveness only gospel a rightness gospel these are common and easy for any of us to begin to find ourselves drifting into so that's why it's important and i hope helpful to just stop right here for a moment and ask ourselves okay what kind of gospel are we aiming to share and preach because see what we've discovered here at outlook is that following jesus is the most fulfilling life possible We don't do it out of fear to avoid hell. We don't do it out of duty to be right. We don't do it out of for our benefit just to be blessed. We do it out of love because we want to follow Jesus. Now, often, like I said, churches, Christians, pastors can get this wrong. And perhaps you've been burnt or hurt or misled by a fellow Christian pastor or church. And some of this is hitting pretty close to home, sounding a bit too familiar. We here always aim, and aim is the key verb here, aim to be a church pointed toward and pointing us all toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And not falling for these three misguided versions of the gospel. Now, we never claim that we always get this perfect, not at all, but we can say with open hearts that this is always our deepest desire and we labor to that end. To issue a faithful invitation to anyone who will listen to follow Jesus with us. Amen? Now, when I look back on my own life, I realize that I was blessed to have someone issue this invitation well to me. 
It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the invitation that I was given. I said that, you know, a lot of this has to do with where we begin. That'll tell us a lot about how it's going and where we're going to end up and how we're going to develop. If we've started on any of these places, then we, we need a course correction. Perhaps someone started us on the wrong foot. Today can be a day that we begin to see, oh, wait a second, I see that now. I want to get on the right path, a, a path that is healthy and whole and not kind of leading me into some wrong directions. I was blessed to have someone issue this invitation to me really well. I was in middle school, and a seminary student that our church had hired to be our youth pastor, she had kids of her own around my age. Her name was Andrea. It is Andrea. She's still with us. Described life in Christ to me in a way that I had never heard. So winsome, so real, so full of life, so compelling. She clearly loved, knew, and walked with Jesus, and it captured my heart. And I realize a couple of observations from this. I realize even as I stand here today, I am the direct result of decisions I made with and for Jesus in seventh grade. In some ways, I'm still very much that person. I'm still that 13-year-old me who was shown a path that was all about following Jesus and getting to know him. And I'm still simply walking that path that she showed to me. So this first observation that I want to then apply to us is never underestimate the very solid decisions that you can make when you're young. If you're a junior high, middle school, high school student, college student uh, listening with me today in the room or online, just hear that. Don't think following Jesus is something that you might get around to when you're older. But just know that life is short and the decisions that you make today are indeed setting the course for your life. And Jesus has some really good things for you if you'll pay some attention to what that could be in your life. So don't put that off. Second observation I see from this little episode in my life is that Andrea uh, was not perhaps the typical student pastor. She was a divorced mom heading to seminary a little later than the average. But you know what? Didn't matter. She was a wholehearted Jesus follower. And she loved talking about that relationship with anyone who would listen, including a 13-year-old me. And so that second application is never underestimate your own ability to play a pivotal role in a child's or student's life. We love kids here at Outlook. We're all about investing in the next generation. When you hear Amy or, or Zach talk about the ministries that are happening here with our kids or our students, if there is in any way a tug in your own heart that says, I'd like to learn more about that, I'd like to get involved in that, follow that. If it is followed by a tug that says, oh, I don't know, maybe that's not, maybe I can't do that, maybe I don't deserve to do that, maybe I'm not qualified to do that, ignore that second one, okay? Just ignore that one. Because I'm telling you, don't underestimate your ability to play such a beautiful role in a child's life. I can tell you, my life was changed completely by what she did for me during the one year or so, because it was just part of her seminary program, that she was a part of our church. So don't underestimate the role that you can play in someone's life. This, isn't, this, this idea of leading people in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just something we pastors are supposed to do. We do it for each other, don't we? We do it for each other. So what can happen? Well, we want to remind ourselves, every gospel produces its own disciples. 
We can be disciples of any of these Gospels. That's what Gospels do. And so we can't afford to ignore discipleship and then reduce our faith in Christ to a blessing I get or a decision I made or a creed I can recite, as important and good as blessings, decisions, and creeds can be. Discipleship is personal, deeply so, and transformational. And if we ever slip into the idea that it's simply a transaction that I can complete and not a transformation that I get to live out, then we have missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, having laid that groundwork, let's spend the rest of our time looking quickly at three scriptures that really begin to paint the picture of what discipleship to Jesus looks like. You still with me? All right, number one is in Mark chapter 8. Jesus calls a crowd to him as well as his disciples, and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What good is it, he asks, for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? He's talking about that pivotal decision that says, following me means letting go of life on your own terms and going ahead and submitting yourself to life on his terms, which, spoiler alert, always better, okay? Always better. Now, there's a lot of things we could focus on in this passage, but for the sake of time, I just want to focus on two words, whoever wants. Anyone within the sound of my voice right now, whether you're listening to this live or sometime way after the fact, if you want, if even 2% of you is interested in becoming a disciple of Jesus, you follow that impulse. Believe me, Jesus will meet you right there. Whoever wants to be my disciple. I don't see a lot of hoops I'm supposed to jump through here. I don't see a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of tests I have to pass. Oh, there's tons of things I'm going to get to obey when I realize just how wise and good Jesus is. He's going to say stuff, and I'm going to be like, sign me up. I want to do exactly what you teach me to do. That's not what I'm saying. But there is no qualifications, no prereqs. Whoever wants, once they've done A, B, and C. Mm -mm. Whoever wants to be my disciple. That's how it begins, and that's how it begins in me and in you. I am a disciple of Jesus. Many of you can say the same, and you have found as I have. It is the first and most important thing about me. It is also the most meaningful, fulfilling, and enriching part of my life. It, in fact, it is my life, and I could not more highly recommend it. We can't do this for each other, can we? But we can do it with each other. And that counts for a lot. Here's the second passage. These are the words that Jesus gives to his disciples right before he leaves the earth. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We have built everything we do at Outlook around these last standing orders of our commanding officer. Make disciples. Develop disciples of his. Well, how do we do that? We immerse people as best as we know how in the life of God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we, yes, teach us all to obey what he has commanded. We have come to believe that the words and the teachings and the ways of Jesus are the wisest, the most beautiful, the best way of life that we could possibly uh, undertake. And we will teach each other and admonish each other and encourage each other to follow that way. 
When we, see, when we use that verb develop, for lack for brevity's sake, develop disciples, that word speaks to flourishing, to thriving, to the maturing. We talked about earlier. We've, we believe that discipleship to Jesus equals human flourishing. That the actualization, the fulfillment, the wholeness, the integration that everyone in this whole wide world is looking for is ultimately and only in the end found here in discipleship to Jesus. That He is the answer to all that we're looking for. So what does a church do? We create spaces where this can happen. We do our best to set examples of this happening. We tell stories about it happening. Because friends, it's been happening for 20 centuries. And it will keep happening. And we just long and pray and and hunger that it will keep happening here. Amen? Third scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul writes this to these believers. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. He wants to remind them of the gospel of Jesus, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. See, these, this idea of multiple gospels, false gospels, other gospels, uh, this is as old as, as Christianity itself. And he's urging them to remember the original and true gospel. He says, by this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. By this gospel... And all that it contains, you are saved if you hold firmly. That's who we are. That's who we long to be. People who are holding firmly. Amen? Now, not holding on by a thread, as if this faith could be snatched from us at any moment, but holding firmly to something we cherish and love. Something more important to us than life itself. In fact, we've discovered it is life itself. Paul goes on, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, again, just as the scriptures said. This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is where it all begins. This is the seed of the gospel. It has to start with the holy and and, and sinless son of God dying on a brutal cross for us. And then overcoming sin and death by walking out of his own tomb. That is the seed uh, from which everything else that's good about the gospel grows. And it starts with the cross. If we haven't remembered the cross in a little while, let's reflect on it together. Because it's at the cross that we receive grace and we learn what love is. And it's by returning to the cross In in a beautiful way, that's what we do each week in communion. As we return to the cross, we are formed as a people in repentance and self-examination. I was just remembering this week what an effect the songs I grew up singing in church had on me. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. That's so true. I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners, that's me, was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross we used to sing. Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross. Hold firmly, we just read. And exchange it one day for a crown. As we just heard so beautifully played on the violin and guitar. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. When... I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. 
My richest gain, mm, I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. There's no, no room for that gospel of prosperity. No room for that gospel of rightness. No room for that pride or that greed. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What do I hope we'll walk out of here today or log off with here today? I hope you'll walk out of here thinking this, that the mission of this church is to develop your name here, right? As a disciple of Jesus. That's right. Our mission is to develop you as a disciple of Jesus. You and Jesus. If you could boil it down, that's our why. Just you and Jesus. And Jesus and you. It's not about me. God, God forbid. It's not about building our brand or our budget. It's about building changed lives. It's about building you and me, friends. That is discipleship. Amen? And that is what we're all about. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the church around the world and across the ages that we get to be a part of today. And God, we thank you for our church. We thank you that 150-some years ago, a group of believers saw fit to get together and begin worshiping you, opening your word, supporting each other, praying. And God, we've been doing it ever since. And we pray, God, it is our, oh, it is our earnest prayer that you look down on us and are pleased. And when you see something that displeases you, you show it to us and we correct it by your spirit. We move forward together in you. God, we thank you that this church belongs to you. We thank you that you call us to be your disciples and that we can hear that nudge, that voice, that calling that just simply says, follow me, follow me. We answer it again today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We learned a song earlier. We're going to get the chance to sing it one more time this morning. It begins with these words, so appropriate from what we've just been looking at in the Scriptures. It begins, the Gospel of Jesus. It's the hope of the ages. Burning brighter and brighter and standing forever. The church, He is building, amen? Nothing can stop it. It's a city that's shining, a light in the darkness. Let's stand and sing those beautiful words together to this God who's building His church.